What's up, everybody? My name is David E.J. Berger. You can find me at Carl Jr. on Twitter. And welcome to Training Camp Dialed In. I'll be featuring phone calls with NFL writers and reporters from the actual sidelines of camp, getting their first-hand accounts of the action from a fantasy perspective. This is the place to be all month long, so you need to subscribe to the Fantasy Authority feed, the exclusive home of the super short-run, super niche, and super essential podcast for the month of August. And we are back. We are back. We're talking to NFL writers and reporters about their team's training camp from a fantasy POV Let's get going. It's a podcast that's so short run, so super niche, uh, and kind of in an exclusive club that you've been uh, listening. One of the reasons I kind of like doing it. And the information is golden. And that couldn't be more true today as it is every day, but it's especially true today. Because we're talking about a team with not one, but two guys that go in the first round of fantasy drafts. And it's been that way all summer. We're talking about the Minnesota Vikings, and we're going to get the inside scoop. I dialed up Arif Hassan. He covers the Vikings for The Athletic. You can find him at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. And you should. This guy, this guy's good at Twitter. You know, I'm not very good at Twitter, but this guy, this guy is good. And he's good at his job, and he's about to deliver the definitive guide to the 2022 Minnesota Vikings. What are we waiting for? Let's bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, Arif Hassan. Hey there. Hey, Arif. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, I, I think you had uh, this set up last year, but uh, very professional. Um, you're uh, about to go hard in the booth and drop some bars. <laughs> okay. I've got some heat, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, cool, man. Well, uh, thanks uh, again, once again, for joining me. It's always, sure. a, a, always a great, uh, great time, and I'll get right to it. The Vikings have two players who go in uh, the first round of drafts. There's people with thousands of dollars locked into Justin Jefferson on underdog already, Arif. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but to really hit that ceiling, there needs to be a little improvement from this offense as a whole. Last year, they finished 14th overall in total points scored, 12th in total yards, down from 4th in 2020, and 12th in the league in yards per play. So not terrible, but some room for growth, as I said. Now, I think where people might be surprised is this team did change its identity a bit, perhaps because they were behind too much, but they did go from 27th in the league in pass attempts to 11th and only finished uh, 16th in rush attempts uh, down from 8th. I know you're a big let Kirk Cook guy. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe I just made that up, but uh, I don't know if people are wanting Kirk to cook. Uh, but <laughs> out is Mike Zimmer and in comes uh, new head coach Kevin O'Connell, who helmed the Super Bowl winning Rams offense last year. Now, there's a lot of presumptions out there. He's bringing in a style similar to the Rams. But from what you've seen in camp, what can we expect from this offensive scheme? Is it is it going to be Rams Midwest uh, with a system dictating the play or is O'Connell looking to do something that highlights uh, a pretty well-established offense? Yeah, I think that um, at the base level, at the the nuts and bolts of it, it's going to be very similar to what the Rams do. But how that system kind of evolves and and establishes itself, it's going to draw on the stuff that worked best for the Vikings this uh, this past season, the season before, and the season before that when they finished fourth 
um, that, like you mentioned, I think that we're going to see some concepts that, you know, Kirk Cousins has been comfortable with, is comfortable with. Uh, and so in that sense, we're probably going to see some stuff that, that we're kind of used to seeing. But generally speaking, the base of the offense is going to come from that system that uh, Sean McVay helped develop with the Rams. And it's going to have more receivers on the field. You know, the Vikings, I believe, finished 32nd, um, even though they increased the number of three receiver sets they had last year over the year before, it was still last in the league in the number of times we saw three receivers on the field. And that's just not going to be the case for the Vikings. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to pass or they're going to throw uh, the ball all that much more often. I think they will, but it is possible to run pretty significantly out of that three receiver set as the Rams have shown. And I think they do want to feature Dalvin Cook in a lot of ways. And so in that sense, we are still going to see them run the ball, but I would expect pass attempts to increase overall. I would expect Kirk Cousins' efficiency to improve overall because he is better out of 11 personnel or three receiver sets than he is in two receiver sets. And we know that they've got the ability to kind of threaten at all three levels of the field with the types of receivers they have and that they can get Kirk Cousins to be more aggressive. And I, I think that he is a fairly aggressive quarterback. That's not meant to be a criticism, but I think that if they can get him to be more aggressive and push the ball downfield just a little bit more often than he already does, um, we're going to see, you know, increased yardage come for players like uh, Justin Jefferson. We're going to see uh, improved passing numbers for a player like Kirk Cousins. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean abandoning Dalvin Cook because we know um, that the Los Angeles Rams and that offense in general does like to feature a back once they've got a back that they like, they like to run that back a lot. You know, Todd Gurley didn't get zero yards with the Rams, right? You know, it's, it's something that, you know, people who are invested in fantasy can kind of count on. And I think that um, we'll, we'll still see ways that Dalvin Cook will be used. Maybe he'll catch the ball more than run the ball a little bit, but we're still going to see um, a, a passing offense that's going to be a little bit more voluminous and I think um, a little bit more efficient, which in turn, you know, for, for Justin Jefferson fans and people invested in him, um, will probably mean an uptick in an output for him. Amazing insight as always, Arif. Uh, let's pick apart these guys one by one here. Let's start with that quarterback, uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's a tennis fan. Arif, I don't know if you know that. Um, he went to Newport, Little Grass 250. He was featured on the Tennis Channel. Uh, so I, I he in, increased right. increased my liking uh, of Kirk Cousins. Uh, I'm a tennis guy. So uh, he actually went up in attempts last year. Again, so we have a steady increase. Uh, he went 50 more attempts from 2020. And it sounds like he's headed for more even this year. He did have a little bit of empty volume, though. He had less touchdowns and less yards from 2020. We do know what we have in Cousins a bit, but it sounds like there's room for more. And uh, it sounds like he should be in line for another 30-plus touchdown season. What's Cousins been like at camp? And uh, is that 30-touchdown season maybe a, a floor? Or could he struggle to reach that if the injuries are piling up in, in camp? Well, I think Cousins has looked pretty decent in camp. Uh, to be completely honest, uh, when I'm looking at camp, he's actually one of the last players I attempt to look at or evaluate because I know that sometimes he's trying to, to kind of test the limits of what he can do or work within the configuration of, of the new system that he's learning. Uh, and so he might make some mistakes that won't reflect themselves into the season, or he might do some stuff that the defense is not going to show. Um, I just know by the time the season starts, he's going to be the quarterback that we're kind of used to seeing. So I don't pay as much attention to him as I do other players, but of course he's impossible not to notice. Right. And so I do watch, you know, kind of, you know, Hey, you know, this deep ball got thrown who threw it. Was it Kellen Mond? Should I pay attention to him? No, it was Kirk Cousins. That's really great. Um, I think that he's looked good. And I think that we've seen elements of that deep passing offense already emerge just one week into camp. So I, I think that for the most part, the indications that we have tell us that Cousins is poised for a pretty good season. Um, as for the 30 touchdown number, I actually think um, that's it's closer to a floor than anything else. I think that it's very likely that he'll hit 30. To me, the bigger question is whether or not he'll hit more than 35. For me, 
I think that that's possible. I know that I'm being a little bit aggressive with that one, but I just given kind of the nature of that offense, I just know that there's going to be opportunities for him. I also think that the Vikings, I think much like the Rams will be okay running the ball inside the red zone and especially inside the five. And so I know that when they get to the goal line, some opportunities might, might evaporate. And you, you referenced, you know, injuries, like one major injury, um, that probably isn't going to affect them for the whole of the season, but it's worth monitoring as Irv Smith, um, who recently had thumb surgery. They expect him to be back by week one, but it's something to kind of keep um, track of. And obviously we know that tight ends tend to be red zone targets. Uh, and without that, you, you might you know cut down on the touchdown total. Irv Smith is not a traditional uh, red zone target. He's not as tall as most tight ends are. I think he's 6'2". Um, and he's more of a speed guy than he is a contested catch guy. But that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, we know that there's going to be fewer tight ends on the field. Maybe that'll change when they get close to the red zone. One other thing to keep in mind is that, that Adam Thielen has been a remarkably productive red zone target. And uh, and he's kind of the guy that, that, that Zimmer's offenses have gone to when they get into that red zone area. Um, it's been really difficult to see other receivers try to replicate that feat year over year. Adam Thielen has somehow found a way to do that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that falls off just a little bit uh, and, and you might see a little bit more, um, you know, running totals in inside the five. So that could implicate the touchdown total. But generally speaking, I think that you're you're going to get closer to 35 than you are to 30 in terms of total touchdowns for Cousins. And I think you'll end up with a, a very productive year. So for the most part, I, I think that it is really likely that we'll see an uptick in all kinds of fantasy volume for a player like Cousins. Uh, and of course, the, the volume that that gets reflected in in various advanced metrics like adjusted net yards per attempt or expected points per play. You know, him and Zimmer may or may not have a, had a thing, um, but there is a, you know, a regime change. Maybe the air is a little nicer for Kirk walking around camp. Could that help help his numbers as well? Just have a different attitude around the locker room. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it's, a, it's always really difficult to measure that sort of thing. And because it's difficult to measure, it's easier for people like me to kind of discount it. Right. And, and I shouldn't, I think it is important having not just the atmosphere of general ease, right. Instead of an atmosphere of tension and conflict by itself already has its own impact. But then on top of that, you, you have the additional capability to kind of interface with the coach um, during the week uh, on the sideline and know that that interaction is more likely to be positive, at least for the first couple of weeks of the season in the first season together, who knows what happens kind of down the road. But I think for the most part, um, they'll probably get along at least to start. Who knows? I mean, every locker room culture is great until the first loss. So we'll see kind of what happens from that perspective. But I think for the most part, we can anticipate that, you know, having a more relaxed atmosphere, one where Cousins doesn't feel like he has to fight the coach um, to kind of assert the way that he plays football, um, but rather can collaborate with the coach. Um, you can still have lively discussions, but it's one where you don't feel like you're not being respected. Right. And I think that that impacts everybody in everybody's work-life experience, right? I think that, you know, having management that respects you or being able to work for yourself uh, does wonders for the confidence that you can have in your own productivity. I don't see why that wouldn't apply when you're in a very high-stress environment like a football field. A Cousins-O'Connell collab dropping this fall. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see what that album cover looks like. (laughs) Okay, well, last year we spent a little time talking about Kellen Mond, and I'm going to pose this question to you. Has he done anything worth talking about so far, (laughs) or should we just move on and let the dream die? So last year I said that he wasn't looking good in camp and that that didn't really bother me too much because he was a rookie and, you know, you just kind of expect these things and um, it'd be better if he looked good, but honestly, it kind of doesn't tell us very much now that we've got another year. And obviously his last year didn't give him as many reps as you might expect a, a third round quarterback to get in practices. I'm, I'm much more concerned. I think that he is 
not looked very good in camp. I think that the issues that have plagued him that were maybe the negatives on a scouting report and were issues that he had in camp last year have replicated themselves. We're seeing more of it. He's um, getting a little late to his reads. He's late to his receivers. Um, when he is throwing off platform, say on the move or in a pressured pocket or anything along those lines, um, his passes are sailing a bit too much. He's not very accurate. And uh, it's most noticeable when you find um, these receivers, you know, getting open, streaking deep or in some way, like I've seen Amir Smith-Marset get open deep. I've seen, I've seen Albert Wilson get open deep. I've seen KJ Osborne get open deep, you know, all of these secondary receivers that might end up playing a pretty big role on the team down the road. You know, these are guys that are winning against their competition and the ball just isn't getting to them. Typically it's an underthrow, um, which has led to uh, players like Myron Mitchell uh, generate tons of tons of yardage through pass interference penalties but not really able to prove themselves by catching the ball which is the thing a receiver will want to do in front of a coaching staff where he's trying to make the team kind of important yeah and so so he gets wide open the ball gets thrown kind of to him but he gets underthrown and then the cornerback that is attempting to to stop the pass you know he's i mean he's a bubble guy too he's he's no andrew booth he's no caleb evans he's no patrick peterson He's making his own mistakes. So he uh, sees a receiver pull up and he runs into him and the ball hits the ground. Right. And if that pass had been thrown in stride, not only would the player like Myron Mitchell or Amir Smith-Marset been able to catch it, they might've been able to gain significantly more yards because in some of these situations, the receiver's wide open. Right. And so um, those are kind of the issues that we see plaguing Kellen Mond. And I, I wish that these issues only occurred when Mond was playing up against the first team defense, which does happen on occasion, but they even show up when he's playing against no defense against air, when he's throwing late to receivers, when he should be throwing much sooner when they're running individual drills without any opposition. And so I'm very concerned about Kellen Mond. And I think that kind of his trajectory is pointing downward at this point. You have to impress against air. At least that, yes, at least that's the base minimum. Yeah. That's the bar. Uh, all right. Well, people aren't tuning in for Kellen Montauk, uh, although, I mean, I could <laughs> I enjoy it. Um, let's move on to the uh, wide receivers next. Uh, Justin Jefferson, obviously, is a headliner here. He goes in the first four picks of most drafts uh, after his 108 catch, 1600 plus yard and 10 touchdown season. Health seems to be the only thing standing in the way of this guy smashing once again. Um, or could we see a dip in usage? Uh, we got the three receivers on the field now. Uh, new regime could last year be a ceiling year and we regress to Amin a bit. Uh, give us some, some hardcore JJ talk here. <laughs> um, I, I think it would be fair to say that, that Justin Jefferson is, is more likely to be poised for more production than less production. Now there is something to be all said. Right, about, all right. All right. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think we're in a good spot. Um, there is something to be said, right. About um, the fact that he, he did see a lot of targets last year. I know that Vikings fans have wanted him to see more, but he was up there, I think in top five in terms of total receiver targets in the NFL last year. So it is difficult to envision um, kind of a, a higher ceiling for him to hit uh, just from that alone. But I think that it's possible. I think that in offense that finds ways to create more space for yards after the catch um, will allow him to do that. I think an offense that sends him further downfield a little bit more often will allow him to do that. And I think that, you know, kind of just the slight increase in the passing volume will allow him to do that. Now you're right that having three receivers on the field is going to decrease the, the likelihood that he's going to be the target of any particular passing play. But I think that the volume gains that you'll get from additional passing volume and additional downfield targets, and maybe even better yak opportunities. I think all of those will kind of help, especially when you think about kind of the way that those offenses are designed. Um, one thing that made Cooper Cup's total, his yardage total, as he led the league in yardage, really impressive is that 
he was also the best blocker on the team. So not only would they run block him a lot, he uh, had to generate yards after the catch, despite the best person to help him generate yards after the catch was him, right? He doesn't get to block for himself. Now here with the Vikings, uh, Justin Jefferson's a good blocker, but there are two better blockers on the team, Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne, who are uncoincidentally going to be a uh, wide receiver two and three on that team. Now, when Justin Jefferson catches the ball, now he's got one of the best blockers on the team blocking for him instead of him having to do that for himself. And so he'll have some opportunities to gain yards after the catch that'll help him generate additional yardage. So I think that there is an opportunity for him to get above 1,600 yards. Again, like you said, health is going to play a big, pretty big role here. Uh, and you never really know, even though he has been healthy his whole career. So that's all something to keep in mind. But we should also note that like he had really great volume his rookie year and he didn't start those first two games and he still was able to generate some really significant volume. So I, I think that volume is always in the cards for Justin Jefferson. I think that he just finds ways to make big plays and big moments. And, you know, for the Vikings sake, there's hopefully going to be a lot of big moments and, and he'll be able to either generate those yards after the catch, or he'll be able to generate those yards uh, through the air as he gets open deep. Yeah. I mean, he's just a spectacular receiver uh, and the Vikings know that, you know, the first read should just generally go to him. Hard to believe uh, the coach that didn't start him for two games uh, is no longer in charge <laughs> still. <laughs> now that we think about it, cheap shot on Mike. Sorry. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> and we love the yak talk. We love that yak talk. That's great. You know, you mentioned Thielen and, and Osborne at the two and three. Thielen is a guy every year, you know, he was up there uh, and you know what, you know, up there for drafters. Now last year and this year, he just keeps uh, being forgotten. He, he goes pretty late and he kind of smashed the touchdowns aren't sticky narrative a little bit. Uh, he had double digit once again, back to back seasons. Uh, then he got hurt, but I believe he's out there. Can you give us a health update on him? And a lot of people are hyped on Osborne. You know, is he going to be a, a guy that continues building on a, a pretty great uh, year last year? Aside from just kind of the general worry about injury history, there's no injury concerns present for Adam Thielen uh, in camp right now. So it full go. Every practice, you know, he's fine. The touchdowns are, aren't sticky. Uh, that one's a, a pretty interesting one because I um, pointed out, you know, I was, I was talking to some fantasy football people who are really into, you know, asking these questions about whether or not touchdowns are repeatable. And generally speaking, I mean, they're not, right? I mean, just uh, across the league, receiver by receiver, that just generally doesn't happen to repeat itself um, just because of the randomness of football. But I, I made the point to, to him, and, and thankfully I was proven right, that uh, you know Thielen just gets an overwhelming percentage of targets in the red zone. And not only that, that has happened year after year after year, going back to when he first became a starter in 2015. Uh, his red zone target percentage when he's on the field has been over 50%, I think, every single year, even when they've had Kyle Rudolph and Stephon Diggs, both of whom are really great red zone targets. You know, he is uh, just a machine in the red zone. I've asked, you know, the staff multiple times, like, hey, what is it? I mean, he's like, he's not six, he's not Eric Decker, right? He's not Brandon Marshall. Like, what's he doing up here getting all these touchdowns, right? And, uh, and you know, they, they just say, yeah, he just really intuitively understands space and he understands quarterbacks. He knows what they want. And he knows what, he knows what uh, will, will get them open in tight spaces. And so I guess that's something that they've kind of relied on for a very long time. So I pointed out to him, like, hey, you know, for most receivers, most of the time, touchdowns aren't sticky. A lot of that is because a lot of touchdowns come on deep targets. For Thielen, that does happen occasionally. That'll happen a couple of times every year. But a lot of it just comes from red zone stuff. And they go to him. Like whether or not red zone, uh, you know, percentage is a skill, the Vikings believe it is. And if the Vikings believe it is, it suddenly is one, right? And so he's just going to be able to repeat. Now with a new coaching staff, that could change. That's something to keep in mind. But I do think that he is probably 
going to break the the touchdowns by yardage formula again because I think it's what on average players will get one touchdown for every 100 yards which is very convenient even though they don't really have anything to do with each other but uh Thielen broke that last year and I believe he's broken that in previous years uh in in touchdowns per yardage and I think that he would do that again I don't know if that means necessarily 10 touchdowns um but I certainly think eight's on the table and if that's the case if he's going to get maybe eight touchdowns maybe uh you know 600 700 yards that, that sounds like a steal in the ninth round to me. If he's there, I would take him. Now, I, I never get to take him because I'm always in a league with at least one other Vikings fan. And so I I must say I never have Vikings on my team. But um, I think just generally speaking, compared to kind of what the consensus is, Adam Thielen is somebody that I would go after. What about the little Osborne talk? Yeah, course, uh, he's, he seems uh, he seems to be uh, a hot name. The, 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 the people are planting their flag. Uh, I'm an Osborne guy. Yeah, I mean, I like Osborne a lot. Uh, from a fantasy production standpoint, unless you're in a deep league or a league that has just a bunch of teams in it, I'd probably stay away. You know, if you've got like a a, a, a format that gives you like three flex players, certainly I would I would consider Osborne as a starter. But from a talent perspective and how much you can help the Vikings perspective, absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, so far he's improved year over year. It, kind of hard not to after um, he didn't see a single offensive snap his rookie here. But, you know, he had a really great, you know, second year. He he looked really great in camp. He had a really good showing. And now uh, he's showing out in camp again. It's very clear that he's the wide receiver three. It's unambiguous. There's not really um, an opportunity for someone like Amir Smith-Marset or B.C. Johnson to really push him for that role. And so we're going to see him on the field a lot. The Vikings also like his ability to kind of block from the slot. They see him as kind of a big guy. Um, Wes Phillips, the offensive coordinator, did mention that Osborne is a 4-3 guy, which is the first time I've ever heard that in my life, that – he didn't test like a four, three guy. I can tell you that. Uh, I think he ran a four, four, eight at the combine. Some hand times had him at four, four, three, which I think is generous, but Hey, if the Vikings think he's a four, three guy, that's also a guy who's big that can block, then he's going to see the field a lot. So that's kind of what matters more than, more than the reality of whether or not he is one. Uh, and so I think there's going to be some nice yardage for him. He's a guy that, um, you know, if I was in a best ball league or if I was in better DFS, in or like that, better in best ball. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Because I could see him going off for 80 yards and a touchdown in one game and then 20 yards in another game, which is very frustrating if you're in a traditional redraft league. But in best ball, that is totally fine. Uh, so absolutely, uh, that's, that's something that I could see. And then also, uh, if you tend to play a lot of rosters in DFS, you know, you know, throwing a couple of bucks uh, for an undervalued Osborne every couple of weeks seems like a smart play too. Yeah. I mean, the degenerates that listen to this podcast, they're in an underdog draft right now, a slow draft, and they're, they're going to hit smash. They're going to smash the draft <laughs> button on Osborne right now. Uh, <laughs> so, so thank you for that. Uh, all right. Well, let's keep it moving here and move on to the running backs. Uh, Dalvin Cook's health, again, just like JJ, seems to be the only thing that stands in the way of him being, a, you know, his certified fantasy stud self. If he's on the field. He's in our lineups, but he is already banged up. Can you give us an update on that? And, um, you know, you mentioned Cook. I mean, what do we need to say about Cook? He's going to be awesome. <laughs> is he, yeah. he going to be healthy is the question. It, it would, it would, it, a healthy cook is a lock for top five fantasy production, right? Like I, I can't see it any other way. Like maybe he doesn't hit Derrick Henry. Maybe Christian McCaffrey is completely healthy. You know, maybe Nick Chubb does some crazy stuff. And of course you've got Jonathan Taylor. All of those are in the mix. Cook is in that mix, I think as well, production wise. Um, the health is the big concern. He's never had a 16 or 17 game season, um, but he's been mostly healthy. The thing is last year, 
health plagued him, even though he didn't miss a ton of games. It actually limited his production. I thought it was pretty clear for a good middle chunk of the season that he didn't have the explosiveness he once had, which for him has been a really big part of his production value, right? Because, you know, Alexander Madison can get you an eight-yard game on on a well-blocked run. Uh, Cook can turn that eight-yard gain into a 20-yard game or even a touchdown, right? That's the that's the value that he provides. And it tends to be the kind of value that is more likely to repeat itself year to year, that explosive big run capability when those opportunities open up. I think uh, uh, Tej Seth uh, had – I don't remember his last name, unfortunately. I just keep calling him Tej. Over at PFF found the, um, the repeatability of the big play statistic, which I found really interesting. And that's what kind of value Dalvin Cook provides. Now, in camp, Dalvin Cook has looked good, but every running back looks good in camp. The thing that stands out to me is that I've watched Dalvin Cook in camp every single year. This is the fastest I can remember him being. I don't know if that translates into fantasy production, but it's something that I've noticed. I've written about a couple of times, and I'm I'm not the kind of guy that just says, Hey, this guy is the best I've ever seen. And then next year I say the same thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) It's not who I am. There are some years where, where someone asks me who's having the best camp of their career. And I'm like, well, nobody, that doesn't mean it's a bad team, but like, you know, it's camp. I don't know what you want me to say, but here I think cook has, has really demonstrated that he's got another gear that he might be able to hit, which you don't really see at this age, especially for running back. So I'm really excited to see what that brings for him. But I think primarily his value might be, I shouldn't say primarily, primarily his value is going to be, you know, running the ball and stuff like that. But I think we'll see fewer total carries for Cook, but more total fantasy production in leagues that reward you for catches, right? So PPR leagues, I think that that's going to be available because I do think they want to involve Cook more in the passing game. I think they're very comfortable involving him in the passing game. Um, I don't know if you've heard the camp reports that they're lining him up out wide, but that has happened uh, at OTAs and and in training camp. Um, it's something they're experimenting with. Who knows? It's not going to guarantee that he's going to be out there, but it's something that they really like to, to be able to do. Uh, and so I think that we're going to see some some receiving production for Cook that he's always been regarded as a pretty good receiving back. I, I think that tends to be uh, overrated, just generally speaking, because he does have a fair number of drops. But um, kind of regardless of that, I think we're, we're going to see an uptick in his overall receiving production. And that's going to make up for any decrease in the number of carries he's going to get. And I think that he's going to kind of maintain um, his status as a top five back in terms of fantasy. So um, again, it's all health related. And you asked for an update on his health. He did uh, hurt his finger a little bit in training camp. He uh, got it taped up. He went right back in. In fact, um, as soon as he got out of the trainer's room, he ran immediately to the field where they were doing team drills and immediately inserted himself into the lineup. I think he kicked out Ty Chandler, the rookie, right? He was just like, I'm, I'm in. And it happened to be the second team. So Cook was taking reps with the second team just because he was so upset at missing practice. So I, I, it sounds to me like he's he's basically healthy. This guy's going like end of first round for whatever reason. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, the health is a, a thing, but, uh, you know, that's completely, I mean, it, it's random. It is. It is. Inj- injury proneness is overstated, generally speaking, for most people. Yeah. All right. Behind Dalvin, I, I've waved the white flag. All right. Alex, Alexander Madison is the guy. Okay. There's no... Rock Thomas, it's not going to be Rock Thomas. It's not going to be Kane and Wong Wu. Uh, it's not going to be any of these guys who I've uh, fallen in love with in the past to be that hand. I mean, Madison is actually the quintessential quote unquote handcuff. Uh, but it sounds like he's kind of banged up, uh, banged up too. Also a finger injury. It also, a fi- yeah, a lot of finger injuries out there. Um, yeah. They got that. The, suddenly they got the, the big pads on the heads and now all the injuries <laughs> are finger. Yeah. All the, all- <laughs> We're going to need gloves next year. <laughs> um, it's, it's Madison. And then, you know, if Madison's not out there, 
is it going to be Ty Chandler, the guy behind the guy? What's uh, what's it look like? And it's a kind of a thin, you know, if, if injuries happen, it's kind of a thin room. Yeah, well, it, it, it's interesting because this might be the first time we see the Vikings carry five halfbacks as well as a fullback. I mean, I don't see it happening. I think it's probably four halfbacks in the fullback, which is already more than almost everybody in the league. But it's something to kind of consider. I think that they um, really like the rookie that they have, Ty Chandler. They're extremely excited about Kenny Wongu. In fact, Alexander Madison being the handcuff, I don't know if I would say that his position as a valuable handcuff from a fantasy perspective is going to be threatened, but I think that his value will drop a little bit, right? It's it's not like you're um, investing in Dernis Johnson after Nick Chubb goes down or something like that. It's I, I think that the production will be um, uh, somewhat limited relative to that just because how excited they are about Wangu how excited they are about Ty Chandler. I think that they would turn it into a little bit more of a committee. And again, with the McVay style backs, I mean, they'd like to have one guy that they go to. So if Cook goes down, they would still like to go to Madison. But I think we're going to see a lot of surprising opportunities appear for Wangu and appear for Chandler, um, primarily in the passing game, kind of third down sort of things. You know, I think the upside would be, you know, if, if Dalvin Cook goes down, Alexander Madison's the primary back, but you could see someone like Wangu have Antonio Gibson-like production, right, in that scenario specifically. Um, and I think that they want to get him involved in the running game. And I've even seen two running backs on the field at once, and I don't mean C.J. Ham the fullback. I mean two halfbacks on the field at once. And so we might see additional uh, production for some of these other backs. And I think this is the first time that Alexander Madison may not have quite the rock solid production totals that he would have in a world where Devin Cook goes out. So that's something to keep in mind, but they do like Wangu a lot. They do like Chandler a lot. To me, they seem like pass catching backs, right? More than they seem like pure running backs to them. And so I don't think that that's ever going to be a one-to-one replacement. They like to have a guy who runs the ball and they like to have a guy who can run inside zone to counter with outside zone and stuff like that. Mad- Madison's always going to be that guy, but I-, I think that we're going to see a little bit more production for some of those ancillary backs. And of course, there's CJ Ham. They made made very vocal commitments to him being on the team. He's going to make the team. So that would be a five running back room unless they find a way to add a sixth running back, uh, which uh, would be very funny, honestly. <laughs> well, I I'm taking my white flag back. Okay, I'm putting it away. <laughs> uh, and uh, Wongo, let's go, buddy. <laughs> you're stashed. <laughs> you are stashed, and you're ready to be deployed on my dynasty team. So let's go. All right, let's round things. Uh, let's round to the finish here in the tight end room. Uh, you mentioned Irv Smith. He's out with a, a thumb injury. Everyone's looking for him to smash. Finally, he's finally the clear guy in the tight end room. And um, you know, I mentioned the running back room being thin. Uh, it gets pretty thin in the t- tight end room as well. There's a lot of optimism in him smashing and him being back week one. Should we temper that op- optimism on both of those things? Who would be the guy if he's not out there? Yeah, um, that one's an interesting question. The Vikings are fairly confident he's going to be back week one. Personally, I'm just going to temper my expectations a little bit. I think the timelines for thumb surgeries, for broken thumbs, Tell us that that is a reasonable expectation, but sometimes we see players in a similar situation. You'd be out for another week or two even. So Irv Smith will be there for, I think, the bulk of the season pending, like, you know, barring another different injury, right? But he should generally be available, which is why they did the surgery right away, because they thought they might be able to do it in time for him to be able to return week one, which is, um, it was such a quick surgery turnaround. Like he injures his thumb and then later that night or early the next morning, he he has surgery. So that, that's something that they, they really wanted to get done in anticipation of him being ready by week one. So that's on the table. You know, he's somebody that you know, fantasy people have been a little bit frustrated with because they've been waiting for his breakout season. I remember 2020, people were like, is this when he's going to break out? Because the end of 2019 was so great. That didn't quite happen. But then 
They lose Kyle Rudolph in free agency to the Giants, I believe. And Irv Smith is set to be the lone tight end. And then he gets injured right before the season tour in MCL. Right. And so I can understand why fantasy you know, football folks are a little bit frustrated that Irv Smith and they don't want to call it, but there's no reason to believe that he's not going to have a good season. Right. He's had like in terms of the underlying numbers when he's healthy, they've generally been quite good uh, in terms of production. So should he be healthy by week one? I would anticipate him to be a pretty good tight end, you know, not anything like competing with like Mark Andrews or George Kittle or Travis Kelsey or anything along those lines, but certainly um, a, a starting quality tight end. Um, again, I don't see his value in touchdowns. I see it more in yardage. And so I see him kind of as a guy that it sounded like the way that the Vikings talked about him, that they wanted him to be kind of more like a Vernon Davis type tight end, a guy who attacks, you know, the middle safety, the middle linebacker and two safety sets, you know, do seams deep downfield and stuff like that and get you, you know, 20 yard chunks every so often, right? Not just be an outlet option like he was in the, in the Vikings offense last year, or I guess two years ago. I think that you're more likely going to see some of these wheel route stuff, some of the seam stuff, you know, bigger play plays available for him as a tight end because his biggest asset is his speed. I mean, he's a really fast tight end. You know, his, his agility numbers aren't great. That usually doesn't matter for tight ends, but his speed is, is definitely up there with, with some of the faster tight ends in the NFL. So I, I certainly expect that. Now, if he's not available week one or if he gets another injury or something along those lines, you know, who's going to step up? I mean, that's a pretty good question. I don't think the Vikings fully know. But right now, um, it, it sounds like they want a a – multiple solutions to the problem, which tells you that they don't have a backup tight end, right? Because if they have a backup tight end, they would just name him. Um, but really, they're just like, oh, you know, we've got players that can do all sorts of things. I mean, you know, KJ Osborne's a really good blocker. So, you know, we can go to three receiver sets and treat him almost like a tight end or, you know, CJ Ham, he can do anything. He can line up in line as a tight end. He can line up as a wing back. He can line up as a nub. We can line him up outside. We can line him up as a fullback. You know, CJ Ham can do all sorts of stuff. So, you know, he operates his shadow depth too. And then, you know, we're really high on Johnny Munt who is actually a tight end. We're really high on Johnny Mott. He could do all these things, right? And, and that kind of answer tells you that there's not really a good investment to be made in a tight end uh, in, in a world where, where you know, Irv Smith isn't ready. Johnny Munt has done really well in camp. Zach Davidson, the rookie from last year that they drafted in the fifth round, has done really, really well in camp. I personally, I don't see Davidson as ready. I think that he's just got a little bit too much development left to go. And I think some of his production comes from the fact that Kellen Mond is declining deep options more than it is that Davidson is doing very well. So that's something to kind of keep in mind as you evaluate camp. But um, I think that for the most part, they want to go to Johnny Munt. Um, now, Ben Ellison is a really good tight end, but he's a blocking tight end. We're going to see him on the field a fair amount, but we're not going to get many targets from him. I think primarily you're going to see that for Munt, um, who who they like a lot. But, you know, I, the, the production is just not going to be there for him compared to what they expect for Irv Smith. Are we knocking Munt at all for having a name that sounds like a made-up football player name? I mean, that's just a Johnny Munt. I mean, that's just just a great football name. Like oh, it's like it's a character. In a, it's like a character yeah. in a movie. <laughs> so some Vikings fans have started calling him Munt Cake, which I think is amazing. <laughs> it's incredible, and his name is spelled like Bunt Cake. It's U N D T, right? Yeah. Like it's perfect, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so we were asking about Johnny Munt um, in a presser, right? Because Irv Smith was injured. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's got some great nicknames. We weren't asking about nicknames. We we're just asking about him. And, and and they volunteered the fact that he's got some great nicknames. And I was like, oh, we're going to hear like Munt Cake. Or I'm I'm kind of a comic book nerd. So I'll he- I was like, Solomon Munty would be great, right? Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, the, the defense started calling him Strong Hands Munt. And I was like, that's not a, that's not a nickname? What? That's terrible. <laughs> so, so, that, that sounds like some guys being guys. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're like, yeah, and they, they started calling him Bear Killer because you, you know, 100 year olds featured <laughs> against the Bears, so he's always going to be available against the Bears. I was like, that. And, and he had like four catches for like 40 yards or something against the Bears. It wasn't like that impressive. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he murder them? <laughs> yeah, like, what's, what's going on? So until he gets a better nickname from the Viking staff, I can't fully buy into him. Four for 40 was probably tight in five in right. fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> It's always like hilarious to watch. Like they do the the stats uh, on the bottom on like red zone. It's like tight end five, four for 40. <laughs> what a position. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to get you out of here. Uh, we have one question left, but it's a bit of a tough. I'm going to make you put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. What's your boldest fantasy take for the Vikings in 2022? Boldest fantasy take for the Vikings 2022. Jeez, that one's tough. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll throw out a special team stake and then I'll throw out one that's actually useful. Um, I think the Vikings are going to be a top five special teams unit in terms of points scored in 2021, which is very unusual for who the Vikings are. Um, but, uh, I think that, uh, their coverage has looked really good. I think that the way that they handle special teams is really smart. I think Wong is, is poised for an extraordinary kick return season, uh, and their punt returns have looked pretty good. I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of touchdowns come from the return unit. And, you know, Matt Daniels says Greg Joseph's prepped for a career year, which, I mean, that's a low bar, but. Um, he's, uh, you know, he potentially could be a pretty good kicker. Now, in terms of a more useful fantasy take, I would say for, for a bold take, I'd say that Kirk Cousins finishes purely for volume, not because of his talent, finishes as a top six quarterback. I love it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people uh, on the Cousins train. So that's just um, t- taking that confirmation bias and, and pocketing it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Excellent stuff as always, Arif. Where can people find all your stuff? I know you, you, he he's obviously works for The Athletic, but you, you, I feel like you're a man about town. Tell me, you know, give us the, what, what all the stuff you're doing. Sure. Um, well, you'll find me doing a bunch of podcast appearances over training camp. So, you know, keep track of that. You can always follow, uh, find me at Arifasan NFL on Twitter. A-R-I-F-H-S-A-N NFL. Um, but I also have a, a pair of my own podcasts. I'm on the Norse Code podcast. That's me and my friend James. We've been doing it for nine years now. And then we just started a podcast with uh, some other people uh, in the Vikings blogosphere. So that's uh, Sam Ekstrom, Luke Braun, and Luke Inman. It's the Minnesota football party where we just finished episode two. So I'd love it for if people checked it out. That's through the Locked On Vikings podcast network. Just subscribe to them through any of the podcast things and, and you'll get a lot more of this kind of stuff. Well, great. Uh, and I know uh, I'm in my Scott Fishbowl division, a lot of Minnesotans in that chat and they will listen to this. So uh, you're going to get some new listeners from there. They are Vikings heads. They were a bitter. I took Herb Smith. Um, <laughs> so yeah, hopefully you're still feeling good about that. I I am. Ish. Well, it's tight end premium. So the, the, everything oh, you said right. aligns sure. with uh, how I feel. Um, so yeah, just give them some some catches. <laughs> well, I'll be sure to uh, pass that message on to the offensive staff. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, oh, thanks again for always, always amazing. Uh, and uh, have a great season. Yeah, thanks for having, uh, having me. Have a good one. Dalvin Cook, what are you doing? Draft him. You are now dialed in. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. 
If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.